I'm Austin, and welcome to the Valley Point Podcast. Join us this week as Executive Pastor Gus Sareka takes us through the progressions of believing. Good morning. Did you have a good Christmas? Did you get everything that you wanted? It's uh, a little hesitation there. <laughs> well, you can always take back what you got. You know, for the last 30 days, we've been celebrating Christmas. We've decorated our houses and put lights up. We've drug trees into our living rooms and decorated those. We went shopping frantically, store to store, line to line. We bought gifts, exchanged them. We ate. We had parties. I feel like I'm full from last weekend. I'm telling you, I ate so much food. We'll talk about that in January. You know, we've, we've done all these things for Christmas, but what difference has Christmas made in my life? Any difference at all? How about yours? What difference does Christmas really make for us? What significance does it have? Today being the last Sunday of 2012, I thought it would be very wise of us to take a deep look at our spiritual journey, take a deep look at our faith. Let's take a look and see how much difference there is in our lives. I thought we would perform some chemistry and some biology and dissect what we believe. I personally wasn't very good at chemistry. I blame it on my wife, Laurie. You see, we had chemistry class together, and we had a, a unique teacher that had an unusual style of disciplining his students. Adjacent to our classroom was the lab. You know, the chemistry lab was right next to it. And so if you disrupted his class, he would send you over to the lab thinking in his mind it was kind of like a timeout. You know what I mean, parents? But in our mind, it didn't really work that way. So my wife, being somewhat the rebel that she is, um, you know, would disrupt the class from time to time, and the teacher would send her over into the lab. So it didn't take very uh, much thinking on my part to figure out that if I disrupted class once she was in the lab, then I would be able to go over in the lab as well. And so from time to time, that would happen, and uh, he would send me over into the lab. Well, needless to say, over in the lab, there, there was some chemistry brewing. <laughs> but I, I didn't get very good grades in chemistry. What I thought we would do today, though, is let's grade our faith. Let's, let's grade our faith. You know, as we turn this chapter from 2012 to 2013, this is a good time of year for us to examine ourselves. And let's grade ourselves. So if you have your Bibles with you today, you can follow along. This is going to be like a, a lesson, like a classroom session today. And we're going to look at some things. We're going to go fast. We're going to have a lot of information so what I need you to do is take a deep breath, inhale in your mouth, 
exhale out your nose. Come on, inhale. Okay, that gets the blood, the oxygen in the, in the blood system and gets you thinking, wakes you up a little bit. Almost as good as coffee, not quite as much. We're going to start in John. Gospel of John is one of my favorite books, and we're going to read through the first 14 verses of John chapter 1. So follow along with me as we do this. In the beginning, the Word already existed. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through him, and nothing was created except through him. The word gave life to everything that was created, and his life brought light to everyone. The light shines in darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. God sent a man, John the Baptist, to tell about the light so that everyone might believe because of his testimony. John himself was not the light. He was simply a witness to tell about the light. The one who is the true light, who gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He came into the world and, and into the very world he created, but he, the world didn't recognize him. He came to his own people, and even they rejected him. But to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. They are reborn, not with a physical birth resulting from human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from God. So the word became human and made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only son. These 14 verses paint a beautiful picture of Jesus Christ from eternity past to Christmas to even today. 14 verses. And as I read through these verses, I see facts. There are some truths here. There are some things. I, I wrote down 10 facts that I saw from this passage. And these are just the 10 that I saw I'm going to share with you. I'm going to read through these 10 facts, okay? Here we go. Jesus is the word, number one. Number two, Jesus is God. Number three, Jesus was with the Father at creation and existed from eternity past. Number four, Jesus gave life to everything. Number five, Jesus is the true light. Number six, Jesus, the word, became flesh and lived amongst us. Number seven, Jesus was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. Fact number eight, John was a witness to the light. Number nine, Jesus came to his own people who rejected him. And number 10, but to all who believed Jesus and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. Facts don't necessarily change anything. What changes things for us is whether or not we believe. It's whether or not we believe. Do we believe the facts? Do we live by the facts? And what do we believe about the facts? The key to making a difference in our life is whether or not we believe. Do I believe? Do you believe? And how much do we believe? What I'd like to do today is take a look at the progression 
of believing in our lives. There is a progression. And let's take a look at that. First, the definition of belief. The definition is this. Believe, to have confidence in the truth, the existence or the reliability of something. That's Webster's Dictionary of Belief. Regardless of what it is that you want to believe, this is the definition. It is to have confidence in the truth. And I know, because I know many of you, that our confidence in the truth about Jesus Christ is different. Everyone's is a little bit different. Some of us have a little bit of confidence. Some of us have a lot of confidence. But there's a difference in the confidence that we have in the truths in Scripture about Jesus Christ. Hebrews chapter 11 says this, Faith is the confidence that what we hope for will actually happen. It gives us assurance about things we cannot see. Through their faith, the people in days of old earned a good reputation. Through faith, not good works. Verse 3, by faith we understand that the entire universe was formed at God's command. That what we now see did not come from anything that can be seen. When is our confidence enough? How much assurance do I have? How much assurance do you have that what we read is true about Jesus Christ? So we want to look at the progression of believing. And as we look at this progression, I want you to ask yourselves a couple questions as we do this. Question number one is, where am I? Where am I in this progression? Ask yourself, where am I as we think through this? Ask yourself this question. Where are those who are close to me in this progression of believing? Where is their confidence? Where is their level of believing? Here's the progressions of believing. Number one, some don't see it. It's true, there are unbelievers in the world. There's unbelievers, there's people that don't see it. That's number one. Number two, some see it and never pursue it. We'll talk about these levels in a second. Number three, some see it and pursue it. And then number four, some see it, pursue it, and they help others see it and pursue it as well. There are the four different progressions of believing. Let's look at number one. Progression number one, some don't say it. So when when we think about some people who are unbelievers and the lines of distinction are being drawn clear and clear every day between those who believe and those who do not believe. And there's a lot of gray area in between. But there are those who don't say it. What is the question we want to ask when we think about those? Why? Don't they see it? Why don't they see it? Well, they don't see it because they don't know him. They don't know him. They don't know him because they've never heard of him. This is one of the reasons why we support missionaries all around the world, to spread the the good news of Jesus Christ. And I know that's that's a tough subject, and that's not the subject we're going to talk about today. And that's not our problem. That's God's problem. But here's what we know. 
They don't believe because they don't know him. They don't know who he is, the creator from the beginning of time, the word who was with God in the very beginning from eternity past. They don't know what he has done. They don't know that he was born on Christmas, that he came on Christmas, and that he actually lived a perfect life, and he died on the cross for our sins and rose again because he was God, perfect, and so that we too can rise again to a new life. They don't know him. They don't know him. They don't know who he is. They don't know what he's done. And they don't know how he can change our lives. It's not hard to comprehend when it comes to unbelievers grasping this truth about Christ. You know, when when you look at different passages of scripture that talk about the Christmas story, we read certain things like, he'll bring peace on earth and goodwill toward men. And when you think about that, you say to yourself, peace on earth? He's had 2,000 years to get that figured out, and it doesn't seem like he's doing a very good job. I looked it up, and currently, right now, right now, at this very hour, there are 46 wars occurring on this planet. 46. Peace on earth? There's no wonder they don't say it. And you think of the other phrase where it says goodwill to men. Goodwill to men? I can't even watch the news anymore. The things that are happening around the world are so discouraging. Goodwill to men? The United Nations reports this. There are 25,000 people that die every day because of hunger. That's one every 3.5 seconds. One, two, three, four. Somebody just died of hunger. Goodwill to men? It's a no wonder they don't believe. What they don't know, though, is Christ's plan from the very beginning. They don't know him. They don't know who he is. They don't know what he's done. They don't know what his plan is. And they don't know really what those phrases were talking about. Because the reality is those phrases were talking about peace right now in our hearts. Paul proclaims in Philippians that I have, since I have believed, I have a peace in my heart that passes all understanding. Unbelievers don't get that. They don't understand that, but we see it. We have that peace. We understand it. We have it. When you believe, you get that peace, that peace that passes all understanding. Goodwill to men. We read in verse 12 of John chapter 1, and it says, if you believe and accept him, you become a child of God. There's a new relationship that is established between you and God that was never there before. It's a father-son or a father-daughter relationship. And when you have the best father 
son relationship going. The father loves you. The father cares for you. The, co- the father nurtures you. The, the father lovingly disciplines you. The father holds you up in his arms and supports you during times of, of challenging circumstances in your life. God's there. There's a relationship. There is goodwill to you that no one, no unbeliever would ever understand until they believe. Unbelievers, the more we know him, the more confidence we have in him. Let's look at progression number two. Progression number one is some don't see it. Progression number two is this. Some see it, but don't pursue it. They see it, but they don't pursue it. This is the individual who believes the facts. This is the individual that you pass on the street anytime, anywhere, and you say, do you believe in Jesus? And they'll say, yes. What they do is they believe the historical facts. Most people do not have a problem with the historical elements of Jesus Christ. As a matter of fact, the history books tell us that he existed back then, 2,000 years ago. They don't have a problem with the places, the historical places, the historical characters. They accept that as fact. That's a level of belief. And I think there's probably a few people here that are at that place where they have accepted Christ as fact. And they don't dispute that at all. James talks about this a little bit in his book in the New Testament. He says this. He says that the devils believe and they tremble. And what that means is that they believe the facts. They know it, but they don't pursue him. They don't pursue the relationship. They don't pursue him. So progression number two, we ask that question, Why don't people pursue? We know why people don't believe. Why don't they pursue? They don't pursue for three reasons. Number one, their ignorance of the value of Christ. They don't see the value of Christ. They don't see any value whatsoever for them. They don't see the benefits, the importance. They don't see the treasure of Christ. We talk to people all the time that don't see it. Talk to your neighbor, co-worker. Start talking to them about church or about God. And they look at you like you're crazy. They look at you because they think that you believe because it's like a crutch in your life. You need it. They don't need it. Because they don't understand the value of Christ. We see people like this all the time. They don't realize the treasure that he is, how he can forgive us and guide us and how he can lift us up and how he can encourage us, how he can even discipline us at times when we need it. It's that relationship that they don't understand. They don't see the value in it, and so they do not pursue it. The second reason people do not pursue Christ is because of their unwillingness to repent of their sin. People love their sin more than Christ. They love the darkness more than the light. 
In John chapter 3, it says this. God sent his son into the world, not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. There is no judgment against anyone who believes in him, but anyone who does not believe in him has already been judged for not believing in God's one and only son. Verse 19, and the judgment is based on this fact. God's light came into the world, but people loved the darkness more than the light for their actions were evil. It's not that God does not love evil people. He died for evil people. He died for sinners. He died for us. But some of us just love our sin more than God. And we want to hold on to that sin. And we're unwilling to repent and to ask him for that forgiveness that he can give us when we ask him. Sometimes we think that the sin for a season, the sin for a little short period of time will fulfill us and will make us whole and make us happy. And it never really does, maybe for a short time. They don't realize this, that sin will take you farther than you want to go. It'll keep you longer than you want to stay and it'll make you pay more than you're willing to pay. They don't pursue him because they love the life that they're living. And they refuse to repent and ask God for forgiveness. Scripture says this, that godly sorrow leads to repentance. And what that means is that when we realize that we're a sinner, when we realize that we just can't get things straightened out in our life, and we need and we see the value of Christ and we need him, we call out to him and he forgives us of everything, past, present, and future sins. And we become a believer, a child of God. Progression of sin. Why don't they pursue? The third reason, refusal to make him Lord. None of us really like giving up control of our lives. Some of us have decided that God, the creator of the universe, who knows the past and the present and the future much better than I do, should be in control of my life. You see, when you believe that he is the creator and he knows those things and he's done those things for you, you give up control. You give up control. And you make him the Lord of your life. They choose to worship the creation and the things that are created versus the creator who made everything. They don't want to give up control. Progression number three. Some see it and pursue it. This is the fun part. We're done all the bad part. Some see it and pursue it. And maybe your story sounds a little bit like this. Maybe you started to wonder if there was more to this life than what you see. Maybe you came to church one Sunday and you were sitting there and Eric was bringing a message and you realized that, you know what, it sounds like he's talking right to me. What he's saying is, is resonating with me. 
It makes sense to me. He's talking just to me as though no one else is in the room. And maybe you get to wonder about this thing, about Christ and the value that he brings and the things that he's done for me and, and how much he's loved you. And you leave that day and you're thinking about all these things in your mind and in your heart. And the next thing you know, you bump into an old schoolmate. And you get into a conversation and they say something like, hey, I'm a believer. I go to this other church. You should come out. And you realize, you know what? Man, God's trying to tell me something. There's some circumstances happening in my life that God's reaching out to me. I want to continue to pursue him. And maybe at that point you go home and you say, you know what? There's some passages that I I want to check out to see if this is real, to see if this is true. And you begin pursuing God. That's an amazing journey. Many of us have been on that journey. Some of us hear about Christ right away, and we believe and we accept it. Some of us, it's a long journey. It's a long journey. It's almost like falling in love. Sometimes you fall in love, you see someone, you fall in love right away. Sometimes it takes time. You have to spend some time in the chemistry lab before you fall in love. But it's the same way with God. It's the same way with God. Some see it and pursue it. And here's the thing you need to realize, that pursuing it doesn't make you a believer, but it puts you on a path of seeing God's promises fulfilled. Well, this is God's promise. This is what God says. God says, seek and you shall find. Don't give up the search. Diligently. Seek him. Diligently pursue him. Diligently hunt him down. God's promises will be fulfilled. You seek and you shall find. Progression number four. Some see it, pursue it, and help others see it and pursue it. Let's go back to the definition of believe. This is important. Going back to the definition of believe. Believe is to have confidence in the truth, the existence or the reliability of something. When you talk about confidence and the reliability of something, you need evidence in order to believe in it. You need some evidence. So what is the evidence that we have that Christ is God? What is the evidence that we have? There's three things. Three things that give us evidence. Number one is creation. Creation. Go back to the passage of Scripture that we read in John chapter 1. It says this, In the beginning the Word already existed. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. He existed in the beginning with God, and God created everything through him, and nothing was created except through him. Creation. Scriptures in Romans tells us that we are our all without excuse because of the conscience and creation that bears witness of God and his character. Creation is evidence, is evidence of who Christ is. The second piece of evidence is God's word. God's word, we read it here in this passage, God's word. There is the living word of God, Jesus Christ, and there's written word of God, the scripture that we have today. And the more we get into Scripture, the more we read Scripture, the more we study Scripture, the more confidence we have in God. 
the more we believe in him. And that's why every Sunday, every series that we go through, we open up the word of God and we learn more about who God is, who we are, and how we put the two together. That's what scripture is all about. It's like looking in the mirror and figuring out who we are and seeing who God is. And then the third piece of evidence is you and me. It's funny the way God chose to do it this way. Even back in the very beginning when Christ came to earth during that Christmas story, he had John there as a witness to testify of who Christ was. And we read that in those verses, verse 6 and verse 7. And God has chosen you and me to be the evidence of who Christ is. You know, the sphere of influence that we have with people, whether it's coworkers or family or even people that we bump into at the Wawa, that sphere of influence that we have, sometimes the only evidence they're going to see of who Christ is, is by us. Is by us. You see, when you read scripture, and chances are those people are not necessarily reading scripture. And so they're not going to hear the story of the Ethiopian eunuch in Acts who is riding along in a chariot from Jerusalem. And as he was reading from the Old Testament, the book of Isaiah, Philip came up alongside of him. And Philip said, do you know what you're reading? And the Ethiopian said, how can I know what I'm reading unless someone tells me? And so Philip goes and explains to him that he's reading from the book of Isaiah where it talks about the prophet who's going to come and live a life, the Savior, the Messiah, who's going to come and die and be, and be punished for our sins so that we can believe on him. And so the Ethiopian eunuch believes right on the spot. And he says, Philip, what's going to keep me from getting baptized? And he says, you believe with all your heart of who Christ is, what he has done, and how he can change your life, you can be baptized. And so they go right into the water and fill up baptism. The people that we associate with who are unbelievers, who don't see it or are not pursuing it, the only story they're going to hear about Christ, they're not going to hear the story about the jailer. They're not going to read that in Acts 16 where the jailer throws Paul into prison and Paul and his friends go into prison in the innermost, darkest prison. And while they're in there in that challenging circumstance that they're facing in life, they sing songs and they praise God. And the jailer's scratching his head. And next thing you know, God sends an earthquake and the jail doors are opened. And Paul, he doesn't run out, he just stays there. But the jailer is ready to kill himself because he knows that the authorities are going to hurt him and his family for letting them escape. But Paul says, don't do it. Don't do it. We're still here. And the jailer says, what must I do to be saved? And Paul says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. 
your life will be changed. Our family and friends, co-workers, they're not hearing these stories about Lydia who sold purple, about the army soldier Cornelius who didn't know about Jesus, but Paul told him about Jesus and he believed. The only story they may hear is a story like this one where a father drops his son off in the church parking lot. And he sits out in the church parking lot because he does not see the value of Christ. And he's not pursuing it at all in his life. But then his son, week after week, comes out. And he starts to see a change in his son's heart and in his son's life. And he begins to see that there is value to Jesus Christ. And so the father eventually decides to go into the church and he becomes a believer. And his life is changed because of that. See, every time we share with someone that we are a believer, that may be the only evidence that they hear or see about Jesus Christ. Some pursue it, some see it, pursue it, and help others see it and pursue it. There's only three ways that people will see evidence of Jesus Christ. Through creation, through God's word, and through us. What's your story? Have you been sharing your story? Do you work with people that have no idea that you're a believer? I know sometimes it happens to me from time to time. People find out and they're like, Gus, I didn't know you were a believer. It's almost like embarrassing sometimes when that happens. They should know. Not only should they know, but they should know what Christ has done for me. Some of our family and friends, the only time they'll hear evidence about Christ is through us, is through us. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for this opportunity to come and to worship you and to examine our faith, to see where we are. Lord, I pray that you would speak to our heart this morning. I pray, Lord, that through your word and through the scripture today, and as we learn more about you, that we would be in awe of you. Lord, we would recognize who you are. We would recognize what you've done for us and we would realize how you can change our life. Father, I pray that if there's someone in this room today that is an unbeliever, maybe today they've heard a little bit more about Jesus and they've seen some evidence through your word. And I pray, Lord, that you would speak to their heart. I pray that they would begin to pursue him. Father, I pray that if there's someone in this room today who has been pursuing, that they would continue to do so. And that they would come to a place where they could put their faith and trust in Christ alone. Father, I pray for those of us who are believers. I pray, Lord, that you would speak to our heart 
about the value of sharing our story with someone else. Lord, it may be the only evidence they see of your son, Jesus Christ. Father, speak to our hearts. May we go into this new year understanding who we are, understanding what we believe, and recognizing the responsibility we have to helping others see it as well. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thanks for listening. We'd also like to invite you to join us for any of our Sunday gatherings as well at the Garnet Valley Middle School at 9.15 and 11 a.m.